Welcome to the pollsters. I'm Margie O'Mara, Democratic pollster with GBAO. And I'm Kristen Soltis-Anderson, Republican pollster with Echelon Insights. And each week we bring you the polls driving the latest news in politics, tech, and pop culture. How was your holiday? It was lovely. I got to play some Fallout 76. I watched, mm-hmm. uh, I'm catching up on Big Little Lies, sure. which is an extraordinary show if you have not watched it. I have not. Uh, you need to it's watch on the list. it. I think I would like it. I feel like it's aimed at me, but I have not gotten there yet. It is extraordinarily fun to watch. Mm-hmm. But also, I mean, there's some stuff that's tough to watch. Obviously, it's, you know, got dark prestige TV. Sure. So it, there's a murder. Yeah. Slash someone dies. Is it a. I won't go into it. Whatever. I've seen trailers. You need Laura Dern. Conflict. You yes. need Laura Dern's Renata Klein character in your life is the main. She plays like the it's, you know, the all these moms in this like yes. upscale California community. Some of them are like stay at home mom slash work part time. Mm-hmm. And then Renata Klein, she's like in the school pickup line at the start of the school year. They're all like, how was your summer? And she's like, oh, I joined the board of PayPal. Uh, like. <laughs> You know, I'm just like, oh, Laura Dern, <laughs> Laura Dern, you are a treasure. So she plays the like high powered CEO yeah. bomb, like, and obviously there's some friction and she's like very type A and it's, uh, it's just glorious to behold. Why are you telling um, me that I need to watch this? <laughs> what are you trying to say The clothes are me? great. The real estate is great. And the like. The parents having like f- drama over what's going down with their first yes. graders in the classroom. Did you read? Is- there's like a, a hate read that circulated the internet about a like um Parks or Brooklyn oh. preschool. Oh, that oh, yes. Are connecting to so they're like oh this is like Big Little Lies season four I have, or whatever. It, this was all perfectly timed that I had like watched Big Little Lies season one and then like 48 hours later this story comes out because I am a big JJ Reddick fan. I think mm-hmm. we've talked about this on the show before that like I I became a JJ Reddick fan because my boyfriend oh. in college like was at Duke but like kind of was jealous of him slash didn't like it. and right, so I was like right, well right. I love JJ Reddick and yeah, like yes. now it's unironic because uh. he went to Orlando and played for the Magic and whatever. So it the the main character yes, in that story, his wife Chelsea yes. is one of the main characters. Yes. Who not a character? I mean, not not a character. These are real people. <laughs> setting this aside, this is not big little lies. This is a real story about like just you know people in a there were preschool. there were like lines from it that I was sending to people. I think my favorite is at the end. There's a third grade teacher who's gotten fired by this controversial headmaster and like. You know, they're like, oh, she was like this nice lady, this third grade teacher. And toward the end of the article, when they fire the headmaster and they're like the reporters talking to people, the third grade teacher's like, I want Cersei to know it was me. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I'm the one that was behind all of this all along. It's like, oh, this is so much. This is just so much. I know. It's quite a bit. My husband's like, why are you sending this to me? Like, how much am I, how long am I supposed he to He should have said thank you for I'm the like, gift what? you gave him. Like, he's like, what? It's like, I don't think I'm going to be able to make it to the end of whatever this is that you're sending me. I'm like, you have to read it. <laughs> Obviously, this is important. This content is gold. <laughs> this content is gold, friends. Um, before we move into the polling, we have to resolve the corn situation. Oh, yes. Very briefly. So immediately after walking out of this episode. In last week's episode, we were discussing barbecue foods for the fourth. And uh, And I was like, like corn with mayonnaise, for example. And And you looked at me like I was crazy. Yes. And put this to Twitter where with an N of over 2,000, Kristen is right, wins 76 to 24. But, but. 
I am walking back my stance a bit because what I was envisioning was a corn on the cob slathered in mayonnaise. Just like that's it, like one and two, one plus two, right? Margie then attempted to follow up by sending me a picture of what she was consuming, which was in fact a yeah, corn on the cob slathered in mayonnaise. It wasn't a good execution of elote, so, which is what I was actually talking about. Which yeah, is Mexican street corn with mayonnaise as the thing that you add stuff to, like cheese and spices, and then it's like just a corn as. My buddy uh, RJ then sent a picture of his vision of elote, and it looked delicious. It is delicious. The mayonnaise was very invisible. I understood what you meant when you were saying it's like glue, which was also not great (laughs) messaging, but then I understood like – cheese, lime, spices, yeah. these are things I love yes. and I'm not anti-corn. So if it is a vehicle for the consumption of sure. those things, fine. And if mayonnaise is necessary to make the physics work, cool. So I am not anti-elote. Right. I am anti what I perceive yes. as a horrifying use of condiments on <laughs> so with the, a barbecue food I already didn't like. Here's why I enjoyed all that. Well, first of all, now Sweet Green has an elote. Like it's not a thing on a, on a cob. It's you know, taken off the cob. It's like a salad, a lote salad. I, I walked by a sweet green today and I was like, a lote. I was like, gonna take a picture and send it to you. I'm like, full disclosure, my husband works for sweet green. So sweet, now I have to love a lote. We I are guess. like, we are team sweet green at GBAO. But, um, and so, uh, so yeah. So anyway, so they, a lote is now like fully permeated Washington um, thanks to all these things. Now, what I enjoyed about that is because normally like I kind of lean into the, you know, I I only eat microgreens that are like hand massaged, you know, by, (laughs) you know, (laughs) people pay double overtime or whatever, you know, like that's like usually my kind of shtick, right? And so the fact that now Twitter was like, oh, Margie, how can you have mayonnaise? What is, you know, that's so horrible. What an incredible, you know, terrible (laughs) taste you have. Like, I just found that entertaining. Also, I'm like, this is not at all what people say about my food choices. (laughs) Carry on Twitter is cracking me up. So it's just, I found something like enjoyable about that whole exchange. I'm like, I can I can do all these things. I can eat all these things. I am a uh, you know multifaceted. In that well, regard. there's no way to get more social media engagement than to have a hot take about food. <laughs> Man, that is that is the trick. We got to come up yes. with a controversial food take every episode, and we'll, our numbers through the roof. It's not going to be like, oh, I have a question about number thirteen on CNN's new sixteen question list. No, nope. <laughs> nope. It's going to be like, <laughs> hamburgers are bad. Why does Why does Kristen want to ban beets? <laughs> Her limited government <laughs> principles go out the window when it comes to beets. I would like them banned. Right? Is it okay to give your kids spinach pesto and call it something else? <laughs> give it some fake names so they like it. Yes or no? Good. Is that true or false? Right? Those kinds of hot takes. Sure, we can do that. That's not really the pollsters, but you know, we can see. But you know what the pollsters are, is, are? It's plural. It, the pollsters. It depends where else you're going. With where this. I was going to the top lines. Ah, okay. <laughs> Which are? The we're pollsters gonna, is, if it's the show. Then it's a singular. Is, yes. You know, the community. I'm copy editing myself live. <laughs> Sorry. Verbally in real time. That's be- cheaper than editing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the top lines. 
plural. Uh, Charles Franklin's models, we will dive into uh, what one of our favorite political scientists has to say about the 2020 polls at this point. CNN has rolled out some new editorial standards for what polls they will and won't cover. We will discuss new data on what people think about their personal financial situation, as well as big trade and tech issues. We're going to talk about how veterans are feeling about our political environment at the moment on the heels of July 4th. And then we are going to wrap up with quite a bit of discussion of the Women's World I'm Cup. I'm here for it. Victory. I'm ready for and it. all of the golden content that surrounds it. I didn't watch the game, but I'm otherwise totally up to speed. That's okay. <laughs> I think they feel like I, I showed no, no. you. I made you watch I'm the good. seven I'm minutes of Ashlyn Harris's Instagram story, I'm, I'm up to speed which is all that matters. Yeah, <laughs> I'm totally up to speed. Okay, but first, POTUS. Um, how's he doing? He's the same as he as he always is. Right? Yeah, he got a little bump. ABC News Washington Post uh, in the mix at forty seven percent, which is higher than they've given him before. Yeah. That combined with the Rasmussen having him at fifty, yeah, he's currently sitting at an average of forty five. So pretty good. I think this like ties his record highs overall. I mean, I'm I'm just eyeballing it, looking at this yeah. chart, but um. Yeah, it's not a not a bad sure. place for him to be. Uh, it, I mean, uh, but of course, compared to past presidents, not not a great place to be. But certainly, you know, considering, uh, you know, news coverage as of late. Well, I guess it's always sort of considering news coverage. Um, yeah, things are looking looking better for him ish. Um, what's going on with the Dem primary? So, well, before we do that, just the general election poll. So just in some uh, yes. of these same polls that have come out, they've done general election matchups. And there was just a flurry of polling that came out before the 4th. So now that we're after the 4th of July holiday, there's not, you know, there's not as much. So I think some of these dates, some of these polls were conducted before the holiday that people were then releasing right after the holiday. At any rate, um, there was the Washington Post ABC that had a variety of matchups. And then uh, Emerson had a variety of matchups. These are national and Democrats lead Biden and Sanders and Harris lead in the Washington Post ABC poll. You know, Biden by double digits, Harris and Sanders by single digits, plus one for Sanders, plus two for Harris, tie for Warren, tie for Buttigieg. This is versus Trump nationally. Um, and then uh, Emerson shows Biden and Sanders up over Trump by single digits. And then Harris, Warren and Buttigieg, Trump is up over them by single digits. And so you know, the question as folks look at this is half full, half empty, basically. I mean, these are obviously national polls. They're not battleground state. That's not a electoral college. It's too early to do vote propensity modeling and all that business, right? We don't know the nom- you know, we don't know the nominee is yet, obviously. Um, so well, what does this tell us? And as I was sort of looking through all the polling that's going on right now and just doing a search for what's new. Lots of articles like, here's how Trump could win. Here's how Trump's in trouble. Like, I mean, it's, you know, people, you could have a very clear take either way. Certainly, you know, the folks on the left are not taking anything for granted when you look at these numbers. Are these numbers good numbers for where a president should be against, you know, Biden is a well-known candidate? Are are these other folks, you know, less well-known, less defined nationally, but still leading or tying? Is that an opportunity for Democrats? Is that an opportunity for Republicans? I mean, to me, I look at it, obviously, I see a sign of a president in trouble, but, you know, 
I could see why someone would try to spin it the other way, too. Well, and I think, you know, Henry Olson, who wrote the column, I think, at the Washington Post about how he sees that ABC Washington Post poll. And in it, he thinks that there's still a big path for Trump, that even though that's not a great job approval, that what really matters is not the national number. He could have zero percent job approval in California. That sort of that doesn't matter. It's the geographic distribution. Um, but I, I still think it's way too soon to tell because we don't have tons of polling in key states and we don't even have a Democratic nominee yet. So still a long, long way to go. Yeah. Um, but in terms of who that Democratic nominee might be, uh, sort of catching up on the polling over the last week or so, it seems like the Harris bump is pretty real. There have been a couple of polls that have come out. Um, all really showing uh, Kamala Harris going from sort of the low, t- or pardon me, high to mid single digits up to being firmly around 15 points in these national averages, putting her right in line with where Bernie Sanders um, and Senator Elizabeth Warren all are. You still have Joe Biden out in front, but a much weaker front runner than he was a few months ago. Right after he announced, his numbers spiked up above 40 percent in the averages. They've now settled back around just north of 25. So there is this kind of top tier, which is like Biden 1A, Harris, Sanders, Warren 1B. And then kind of Mayor Pete and Beto have sort of slipped down into the top of the second tier. Although those fundraising numbers for Mayor Pete were bananas. So who knows if that changes? Um, I am not going to lie. I'm a little sad that Marianne Williamson has not seen a bump because I I need more of her. (laughs) Speaking of online content that's gold there was like a video of her that was circulating on twitter and she's just like dance like she's just full-on dancing and i'm pretty sure i have that pants and so (laughs) somebody said you know it was like that feeling when your essential oils for all plan is you know tests really well or something like i don't remember what the rest of it is but something like (laughs) she was like the implication being that she was dancing over her essential oils plan for all. Anyway, it was very funny. Um, So, but she was seen very like light on her feet, I guess, or unencumbered. Um, I mean, you look at real RCP has a good tracker where you can kind of, they graph all the various primary polls and you can see um, where Sanders starts to drop when Biden gets in. And then you can see him, Sanders drop a little bit more as um, Warren surges. And then you see him drop perhaps a little bit more when Harris surges. So I don't know to what extent, you know, we don't know if those are the same people and these are, you know, there's not tons and tons of polling on this. So, but you can see that pattern kind of if you look over time. Yeah. And this is, you know, Charles Franklin uh, at Marquette has taken this data and, you know, has sort of done his own you know, smooth trend line here. And it, it I think, shows, I mean, the RCP one is very, you know, bounces up and down, yeah. you know, based on... Jagged edges. Very there. jagged. Uh, um, Dr. Franklin's is very, very smooth looking, but really it also kind of helps you sift out, okay, is this bump real or is this noise? And, I mean, he really is showing Buttigieg has sort of slipped a little. Harris has really risen very shortly uh, in a very short amount of time. Warren has been sort of slowly building over the last two or three months while Biden, you know, announced and surged and then has kind of fallen back to where he was before he announced. So he is he was a front runner, but but a, a weak one and one that was um, 
folks have been able to to go after. In Huffington Post YouGov, one of the questions they asked was, do you, on this electability question, which is always fraught, but, you know, to the extent that Democrats care very much so about defeating Donald Trump, electability is an important factor here. Um, and it shows that Joe Biden has really slipped quite a bit in terms of which of these candidates, if nominated, do you think are capable of winning the general election? He went from 70 to 57. And is now hovering pretty close to where you would find Elizabeth Warren or Kamala Harris or even Bernie Sanders on the electability question. Um, again, some of this is still potentially about name ID, but there's not, you know, his big advantage at first was like, look, I can win. I'm electable. I, I can bring us all together. That seems to have been punctured by the debate performance. I think the question capable of winning is interesting. I think that phrase is a, is a little bit different. I don't I don't know if there's something if Ariel Edwards Levy who did this has one done one of her tables where she compares the question wording on like the same topic and she looks at how everybody has done it. Um on the electability kind of question because I'm interested in this capable of winning seems a little bit different than like who's the most electable, like, because I feel like there's something about that word, and maybe I'm reading too much into it, that puts the, you know, the talks about the candidate themselves and is not, like, asking you to think about the electorate, but maybe I'm overthinking it. No, that's true. I can see that, that you're sort of asking about, do they have, you know, did they have what it takes right. rather than is America ready for, for them? Like, that, that's America different. America ready for Marion Williamson, right? You gosh darn right it is. <laughs> okay, on that note, we're going to take a quick break. Are you good with people? Maybe you're organized or have a knack for numbers. Well, then chances are you've got skills that could lead to a new career. A Google Career Certificate can help you get a foot in the door with top employers in fast-growing fields like IT support, project management, data analytics, and user experience design. It's professional-level training developed and taught by Google employees. And it's all online, so you can learn around your schedule. Put your skills to work. Go to grow.google slash certificates. Okay, so we're back. And normally we put methodology kind of stuff at the end, but this we're putting methodology no, this stuff. Big. This is in the middle-ish. CNN has new polling standards Jenna Jesta has been on the show. She was one of our first guests, I think, very early on yep. in the show. Jenna Jesta, Harry Enton. I think he's also – has he been on our show? No. How is that possible? Well, we got to fix that. Let's uh, – we have friends of the show, yes. either former guests or, my gosh, how is it possible they have not been a former guest? Right. They have worked on these new polling That's standards. That's you too, listeners. All of you also. So way, <laughs> way back, you know, like three years ago <laughs> – Maybe is a little further than that. Many news outlets would not report on online polls. Yeah. When I would pitch clients on surveys of younger voters, I would have to tell them, look, we can either do this on the phone with lots of cell phones and it's really expensive yeah. and frankly makes me nervous methodologically, but it's the only way your data will get reported on by media outlets. Right. Or we can do an online survey, which I will trust methodologically, but no one will report on. And now that's not the case. Now online polls are much more acceptable. But CNN had always, I don't want to say lagged behind, but had had a much higher bar to reach for the type of online poll they would be willing to report on. And I don't know, I don't know the answer to this question if it's CNN, because other outlets too, I mean, that's clearly changed. There was a time when it was like, no way, no how, never reporting on online. And that's definitely moved. But there's still some outlets that I think have a little bit of a reluctance to report online or use it as maybe 
a reason to not report something. And I have a hypothesis that's not necessarily about like what their in-house pollster thinks of the methodology. I'm not speaking about CNN specifically, just in general. It's not what, is it about what their pollster says is right or wrong? Or is it about like, these are so much less expensive that I can't have like 5 billion organizations coming to me with their poll. And so I'm like, no online, because that just makes it easier for me to make a decision. I don't know the answer to that. That's just a hypothesis I have. Well, I, I think, you know, you've seen whether it's like NBC partnering with SurveyMonkey or you've got the Huffington Post folks partnering right. with YouGov where these are, you know, these are higher quality. This is not just like totally random people all clicking, you know, the type of survey we talk about at the end of the right. show. Um, <laughs> usually these credit are all, the, not a credit donkey <laughs> poll. Poor credit donkey. <laughs> Sure. They are not active. Should we see if we should get them as a sponsor? <laughs> they are we not. talk about them all the they time? They are not like putting together like eight clips. Of how, did, how did our poll do in the press? Like I don't think Granit Donkey is like. <laughs> there is some PR firm intern out there that's like, boom, why, why, why do they keep Why do they keep talking about that poll from two um, years ago? So, but, but, you know, like CNN would report on online polls if they were probability polls. So if you had right. to use like a GFK... Um, knowledge networks yeah. poll or else yes. you were donezo. And yeah. so that was frustrating to me as a pollster. I think I voiced my frustrations on this podcast. They have changed now to instead what they're doing is if you want your polls covered on CNN, you have to answer a 16-question questionnaire yourself, all of which have very fair questions. And it in the, the write-up I saw of this, it sounds to me like, for instance, they have just decided – if you are doing an IVR poll, we are not going to include it. Like, IVR is done. Sorry, PPP, you're toast. Like, that is donezo here. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean that all, you know. Erasmusin went on, like, a tweet tweet storm. Well, I'll bet they did. Um, too bad. Too bad. Like, CNN can make their choices. And, like, I, th there are valid reasons for making certain choices. So what this questionnaire is, is it says, you know, what firm conducted the poll? How were respondents interviewed? Who paid for the survey and why was it done? That's important because they've said they're no longer going to report on internal polls that campaigns do that they then release. Um, and if I do a survey for a client that pays money and then that survey does show good news for that industry, sometimes industries will want to release those polls. doesn't mean the polls are skewed, but CNN is sort of deciding, look, we don't just want to take data that was paid for by an industry and run with it. So, you know, that kind of transparency. They want to know what language or languages respondents were interviewed in. Are they only counting polls that interview in English and Spanish? Like, I don't know that that's a requirement for no. them. It's just something that they would like to know in assessing is the poll good or not. Because right. if you do a statewide poll in Texas or California and you are not interviewing in both English and Spanish, they probably won't want to report on right. that, right? So, you know, depending on the audience and the geography. Are they, right. Or they should at least, right. It's not that it's a requirement if you're doing a national poll, but if yeah. you are. Um, they want a full text of the interviewer instructions and programming for all questions. Wait. So it says, though, for all questions included in this survey release. Yes. So we that may mean you're holding something. Does it mean that you're not include? you're not, if you're not releasing everything, then the things that are not included in the release, you don't have to release the wording Which for. I think is fair because I, I, on the one hand, on a transparency perspective, if I ask you five questions about like message testing on why mayonnaise is horrible, and then I say, should mayonnaise be put on right. corn? And then I only release the 
mayonnaise on corn ballot, and I have not disclosed this that I'm basically how you did your Twitter poll. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did. There's some priming effects you couldn't see because I blocked you off my feed. Um, you know, so that that is interesting. I mean, that's I think it is uh, both fair because I think there are a lot of pollsters that for very good reasons they they have things on their questionnaires that they don't want to disclose right. and it's and maybe not after maybe after it may have it nothing to do may not be priming but that that is a good flag um they want to know things about sample quotas applied to sampling or interviewing um the universe of people t- phones you know were respondents allowed to complete the survey on mobile browsers how many callbacks did you attempt um, what did you do to ensure your respondents are real people paying attention to the survey? So for instance, at Echelon, whenever we do an online survey, we include at least one trap question where we basically say like, if it's a battery of like favorable, unfavorable to Kristen, favorable or unfavorable to Margie, favorable or unfavorable to Richard, choose somewhat unfavorable. Right. And so if you don't choose somewhat unfavorable for the trap question, yeah. then we just assume you're not really reading right. and therefore you're, you're cut. Um, you know, it, 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 the trap question changes from survey to survey. Right. Don't think y'all can game my echelon survey if you're one of my respondents oh. out there. Right. I mean, there's other things. Right. There's a <laughs> variety of things me. you can do. You can like, you know, the way you design your screen. And mm-hmm. remember when we had um, Kylie on here many years ago, she talked a little bit about like grids were not good because of the way people responded, like looking at all the questions. If so, you had to kind of separate out the questions a little bit rather than have one giant grid that you kind of went through mm-hmm. all at once. So, um, so there are a variety of things that you can, you know, you can look at how long it takes people to do a survey. If it takes them a minute and a half, then that means that they were not really reading. They were just sort of straight line. I mean, there is a variety of ways, you know, to keep those online questionnaires interesting and engaging and make sure people are paying attention. Mm-hmm. And they also want to know about your weights, which is is fair. I mean, sometimes- That is impolite questions, CNN. I will not tell you that. <laughs> I will not How tell you that. dare you? Weight. Inappropriate. Uh, which is fair. Fair. I think, you know, what is the source of your weighting parameters? Yes. It says, please list the weighting variables and the source of parameters. So that's different than saying- Oh, that's different than saying what the weights are. are, Right? So that's like, that's, they're trying to leave, I don't want to say wiggle room because that's not quite right, but like you don't have to tell them every single solitary little thing that you've done, which I think is- reasonable if they want people to release their service. This is still very transparent without it being Mm -hmm. like fully open source for everybody. And then is there a minimum unweighted sample size you require before releasing any subset estimates? And if so, so like for instance, CNN always gets people flipping out (sighs) because every time they release a poll, they release cross tabs. God bless them. Thank you. But because there are not a ton of young people taking polls, the unweighted N is not very big. So they just put an asterisk and they don't show that cross tab and then people are like you didn't survey any young people it's like no 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 that's not what that means i know people <laughs> came on our um twitter feed to ask us that yep. and i had somebody from high school asked me that on facebook and i'm like they're like they clearly see it in you know is anti-bernie i'm like no this is not what that's not what not, that means that's, that's not, what, not that what that means um but but i can understand why looks, someone would look at it and go wtf everybody's tabs I mean, most people's tabs sort of – you have to kind of learn how everybody does their tabs and the formatting, and they don't always look like new and shiny. They're like in – Shout out literally everyone out there using Wincross. Right. It's All the, my friends like out the, there. I mean, just the font, whatever, <laughs> the layout, it doesn't always look like it's gone through some high-level data viz, right? It's just 
tabs being output and fixed width fonts and yeah, all that yeah. stuff, right? So <laughs> if you have not, if you have not uh, looked at somebody's tabs, if you've not looked at a variety of different tabs, if you don't know, typically, if you don't typically spend time with tabs, you could look at this and say, what on earth is happening here? It just looks like a pile of numbers and very confusing. So I could see why people get tripped up by that, but no. But I, I think this is a step in the right direction. It is for the most part, not setting totally hard and fast. Like, I mean, I think with IVR, I believe that was one, like, we're not going to do IVR polls. We're not going to do internal campaign polls. Like there were a couple of things where they said, we're going right. to not do this anymore. Mm-hmm. But otherwise this 16 question questionnaire, they're like, if your poll is credible, you should be able to answer these somewhat easily. This, These are things you should be thinking of at least. And if you have not demonstrated the level of care to at least have thought about these things in the process of creating your survey, then we don't want it on air. I mean, like the mobile optimization is really important for online. I mean, mm-hmm. you ha- you need to be doing that if you're doing online work. So some of these things are kind of like in the weeds in terms of administration. Um, you know, what's perhaps interesting that's not on this list is what's the party distribution or gender or race distribution? I mean, those are kind of basic, right? I don't think there's a question in here. Like what's your basic demographic? Yeah. The only one that asks you for the unweighted frequencies is for education. So they want to know if you have not weighted on education, unweighted, what is the education balance on your survey, which is because that's kind of where things got squirrely in 2016. Yeah. Okay. So back to the polls. Yes, back to the polls. Back this to one, the respondents as opposed <laughs> to the outlets. APNORC has done some work on how people feel about their personal finances. And overall, the news is pretty upbeat. Um, overall, 67% of adults say that they believe the financial situation in their household these days is good. For Republicans, it's 82%. But for independents and Democrats, it's 57 and 59 respectively. Um, folks generally feel like they're family's income is keeping up with expenses. Um, Although if you are lower income, a third say they feel that they have fallen behind on family expenses. And there's also some level of sort of education correlation there. If you have a high school diploma or less, about a third say your family is falling behind on expenses, while 60% say it's keeping up. If you have a bachelor's degree or more, you are quite likely to say you're either making more money than your expenses or um, it has kept up. For me, the most interesting question was, suppose you had an unexpected bill of $1,000. How likely is it that you would do any of the following? And the reason I'm interested in this question is there is a very oft-cited statistic where people said it's the, if you had a $400 emergency, could you handle it? And it was some like astronomical number said, no, like I couldn't, I couldn't pay it right away. Um, But I have seen some debate over the extent to which that is is it overestimating people's sort of financial troubles by um, presenting a scenario like the, the basically the question wording makes it sound more difficult than just could you pay for something that was four hundred dollars that you weren't expecting to have to pay for? Um, this question sort of goes through all the different things you might do to deal right. with a bill, and I I think tells a slightly less dismal picture of Americans' ability to cope with unexpected expenses. Yeah. I mean, yes, right? I think that's true. It's interesting that you have more people who say they would not pay the bill at all than say they would go to payday lender or borrow money. I thought that was slightly interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, there's one that's pay the bill right away by cash or check, which is what people are say they are most likely to do. 36% say extremely or very likely. 24% say somewhat. 
And then almost 40% say not very likely to just pay right away. Um, the next one that's sort of like a pay in full, like this isn't a problem, is two steps down, which is put it on a credit card and pay it in full at the next statement, which is, you know, just like another way of, you know, paying it and paying a bill. Um, and you have about, you know, just under 50%, slightly less than half say that's what they would do. The others are like installment or just get the money from some other source altogether. Um, and so I don't know if, you know, because there's so many options, is it, does that change how people's responses are where they're like, oh, I guess I have to say I do one of these things, right? <laughs> or I don't remember what the question wording was for the other question, but I don't, I wonder what's, there's something about, is there something about the question wording? I, well, I'm sure it's something with the question wording where, I mean, obviously no one wants to go home and open up a thousand dollar bill they weren't expecting. Right. That's that's not on anybody's wish right. list. But the other the statistic that makes the rounds a lot makes it seem like you have like over half of America if they received that bill they would be homeless next right. month. I mean I'm, I'm exaggerating, but only a little bit. Whereas this sort of suggests, look, mo- you know, most people say oh, I'd probably just pay it right away. But you've got thirty eight percent that say they are not likely to just sort of pay it right away by cash or check or not very likely to just put it on the credit card, that they'd have to figure something out. Right. Um, but that they they would figure something right. out. Um, so for me, the, the, the only other thing that really stuck out is for all those folks that if you get that bill and you have the option to put it on a credit card where you can get airline miles or hotel points, why not just do that and then pay the statement the next day? Right. XOXO. Your lo- rev- your local airline miles <laughs> and point, hotel points. The points expert. gal. The points gal. Um, I am I am a mere I am a mere low level disciple of the great Gary Leff. Um, <laughs> points at, guy. At, oh no, he's not the points guy. The po- there's drama in that whole world where apparently the points guy is like in the pocket of some of these credit card. Co- uh, allegedly, allegedly. That seems. That's not surprising. Gary to me. Leff is your honest broker. Really? He is not on the take. Huh. He will give you the straight up, this is my in- official endorsement of Gary Leff. If you want to know, I mean, he's he's also, he works here in D.C. in kind of think tank world. And so I've had, I've had friends that they get married and then they're like, hey, for our honeymoon, here's what I've got. And they like send him the list of all of their like accounts. And he's like, great, you can fly first class to Bali on this airline. You have to connect through Tokyo. And then you go, you stay in this hotel. Like, and he like masterminds. That was these- what we wanted to do, but we had a transfer through vacation. I should have talked to Oh yeah, Gary Leff. Oh yeah, he's he's great. I don't know if these are for sale consulting services he offers, but he should consider it. <laughs> he is libertarian and the market works. So, um, <laughs> yeah. Well, you can't really get as far as you used to. That's what the market is also showing us. Yeah, anyway, yeah. so um, the other thing, I don't know if this is the same AP and ORC poll or a different one, but this made the rounds a little bit, which is. Um, uh, people's expectation of retiring and the financial pressure that leads them to think that they may never retire. Um, So about two in 10 of those over 50 say they don't expect to stop working. So there's another quarter that say they will probably continue working beyond their 65th birthday. And so for most of those folks, they, they say it's because of financial pressure when asked how financially comfortable they feel about retirement, 14% of folks under 50 about a quarter to a third of those over 50 say they're extremely or very prepared. That's not that much. That's, you know, that's kind of on the light side. Another four in 10 say they feel somewhat prepared. So it's just, you know, these are, you know, I think there is a, 
I don't want to say tension, but there is, there is a lot of variety in how we ask and interpret questions about the economy. People's views toward the national economy are very much different from their views toward their own economy. And are they thinking about themselves sort of in the short term or medium term? Do they feel uneasy of what's in store in the future? You know, how do they feel economic situation is for them versus other people in the country. I mean, there are so many ways to look at it, and the polls all show different things. And the fact that even just on this question of bill paying, the polls show different things is interesting. So then there's also bigger kind of macroeconomic issues that are in play and could be affecting the economy over the next 18 months, including trade and uh, issues with big tech. Um, some new polling out from Real Clear Politics Opinion Research. They have engaged John Della Volpe yeah. to be kind of their pollster. Is uh, that a new relationship? I well, see, they've this is like the fourth in a series of polls, but I was actually unaware that it was. John DeLolbe, yeah, friend well, of the show. Yes, yeah, so we talked about last week because I was seeing yeah. at the airport. Um, so he's, this is his poll, which is exciting, um, and kind of digs into where people are standing on some of these trade issues. Now, we know, I think from other polls we've talked about on this show, that trade is one of those issues where people have – they have views that are pretty like high level about like, I don't want America to be in bad deals. I don't want us to get screwed, but I also don't want you to charge me more for avocados, you know, kind of this like higher level stuff. Um, but this poll is dealing more into, you know, what do people think about trade with specific countries? And they ask here about people's sort of views on things like China. More than seven in 10 indicate they are either very or somewhat concerned about China not cracking down enough to stop the production and smuggling of fentanyl. Um, and they have about the same level of concern about China stealing U.S. technology and trade secrets with about three and four saying they're concerned. Um, Republicans more likely than Democrats to be very concerned, but I, I would be surprised. That doesn't seem to me to be the sort of thing that's super partisan. Um, on Mexico, voters were sort of less concerned about Mexico uh, in general. I think that explains why the political environment is like a little more favorable toward USMCA getting done versus whatever, you know, Congress is much more like let's we we need to be tough on China versus we need to be tough on Mexico. Right, right. Um, and then there are these numbers on breaking up um, the some big tech or, uh, companies. And they ask this question. I mean, it's with some of these questions, it's, you know, people have a response. Do they, you know, what would happen? We don't know here with more information. You know, this is a question that I think a lot of folks haven't really necessarily thought about, but it's still interesting to see where people are. I don't want to say unaided because that's not quite right, but just before everybody has participated in a really big conversation about this, this is still like a hasn't hasn't really permeated, I think, the whole country yet. Um and you can see that because the numbers are not that different across these different companies. I think if, you know, I, I, and I don't know if that reflects, you know, their base, their core views on just sort of breaking up these larger corporations or if it has to do with, you know, slightly different views for the different companies. The fact that more people think Facebook should be broken up relative to the other companies I think reflects how people feel about social media generally. And, you know, Facebook has had its own particular issues. So 38% of people say it's necessary to break up Facebook. 48% say unnecessary. Um, Apple has the best numbers of the group here, 28% necessary, 55% unnecessary. Um, But the others, Google and Amazon, are kind of in between. 
Yeah. Uh, the only other thing that I, I think stuck out on this is they do show some more partisan and generational divides on these issues. Um, now, it doesn't surprise me that younger voters tend to be more pro-free trade, uh, less favorable toward these tariffs. Whether that is a product of them genuinely being more pro-free trade or whether that's sort of a second-order effect from young voters being more sort of aligned with the Democratic Party these days, Democrats becoming more free trade in the Trump era. Like, is this... Is it a side effect or is it causal? I, right. I don't really know. But yeah. there is a generational gap here where they're showing younger voters to be more, more pro-free trade. Hmm. Well, let's go ahead and take a quick break. When we come back, we'll talk about some polling on veterans and some polling on some champions. Support for this podcast comes from Invent Together. According to studies, less than 13% of all inventors who hold a U.S. patent are women. Black and Hispanic college graduates patent at half the rate of their white counterparts. But we can fix that by increasing participation in innovation and patenting by underrepresented groups. It would quadruple the number of American inventors and increase annual GDP by almost $1 trillion. Invent Together is a coalition of organizations, companies, universities, and concerned citizens committed to ensuring that everyone has the opportunity to invent and patent. Because the more diverse the American patent system gets, the stronger and more successful our nation will become. What can you do to help diverse inventors patent and unleash economic opportunity? Find out at inventtogether.org. Learn more and take action today. All right, we're back. Uh, so Pew has done some research that they rolled out over the July 4th holiday, um, trying to gauge how veterans feel about Trump and him as commander in chief. Um, this is polling that I, I assume the Trump administration will be a fan of, um, but it shows that you have a net approval among veterans of 57 percent compared to a net approval overall of 41 percent in this poll. Um, it shows Republican veterans, unsurprisingly, are more approving um, than Trump of Republicans overall, that they show 81 percent job approval among Republican adults, but 92 among Republican veterans. But Democratic veterans are right in line with Democrats overall saying, no, thank you. Yeah, I mean, this is one of those things where you can look at the overall numbers and you say, wow, veterans, they must feel this way because Trump's done X, Y, and Z on foreign policy and security and veterans and so-and-so. But then if you look at the party breakout and you see, I mean, yes, there are differences between re Republican veterans and Republicans overall, but the differences are not that great. Mm -hmm. um, there's no difference really at all statistically between Democratic veterans and Democrats overall. But still, this overall difference between veterans and adults generally is not due to something really unique with the veterans' numbers, maybe just a little bit. It's really because of the party composition of veterans themselves, that veterans are so disproportionately Republican, and the fact that, you know, that uh, you know, party identification obviously is a huge driver how people feel about the, feel about the president. So it's it's one of those things where you just have to look at the crosstabs. If you're not looking at the crosstabs, then you will come to a different conclusion than I think these numbers suggest. They also have, uh, I think, some fascinating numbers asking about different policies that President Trump's uh, President Trump's administration has put forward uh, that affect the military um, and which ones, you know, for instance, sending troops to the U.S.-Mexican border to deal with migrants coming to the U.S., 
net disapprove for adults overall. 50% disapprove, 47% approve. Veterans actually, it's, it leans the other way, 58% approve. However, on something like the Space Force, I'm actually surprised that yeah. Space Force is the least popular out of all of these things. I thought the same. Um, Space Force get, is getting a net negative here. 53% of veterans and 60% of adults overall disapprove of the Space Force. Yeah, and then they, you know, you can see the real differences uh, uh, between Republican veterans and Democratic veterans on all these various issues, and they're just really, they're really, really sizable. So within veterans, there's a massive party divide, just like with voters and adults overall. Uh, and last but not least, they ask about different uh, views of Trump's dealings with other countries, and U.S. veterans tend to approve of his dealings with Russia, our NATO allies, and North Korea, um, whereas the public as a whole, majority disapproves on all of those fronts. Um, the gap seems to be the biggest on North Korea, but again, this is fairly small. I mean, you have 60% of veterans approving while you have 53% of adults overall disapproving. Um, you know, that's that's not insignificant. Um, so a, a fairly sizable gap, somewhat sizable gap there, I should say. Um, overall, again, just keeping in line with this idea that veterans are a more, popu- more positive toward Trump than the population overall. So... Speaking of somebody that's really popular with the, or something that's popular with the population overall, the World Cup, Women's World Cup team. I'm, it's just so wonderful. I watched the game. I watched all of it. You said you did not watch the game. I did game, not watch the game. I was partaken at, in the. Yeah, I was at like a ladies' brunch. I mean, I, you know, I, had, I was at the farmer's market. It was the best time to go to the farmer's market is dur- and DuPont is during the women's World Cup. <laughs> I was like, this is great. Like, there, is, there are no lines for anything. <laughs> this is fantastic. Um, but I just love, like, I mean, I love the energy. I love, like, how they're using their platform. I love, like, the equal pay chance. I, I mean, I love all of it. Like, I, you know, I, this is not anything to criticize them. I just love, like, how bold and fantastic they all are. It's fanta- It's so great. Um, I love all my friends who are just like, I'm going to France. You know, I don't care. Like the people who like on my feed who just decided they want to go, you know, see the winning game or go to see the finals. I mean, it was just like I, lo- I love the whole thing. Um, I, it like saddens me that women have to be like at the very top of the whole planet for them to be like, oh, let's consider equal. Let's have a conversation about maybe equal pay. Like that. That's what like that's what's required. Like women have to be com- completely climbed to the top of Mount Everest. You know, figuratively, in order for that to happen. That pains me. That's so, the part that I felt from the conversation. With, with no offense intended to our men's team who came in second in the gold cup, which is sort of the like CONCACAF, like Northern North America, Central Central America. I think I'm trying to think of what countries are all included in CONCACAF. But anyhow, you know, they came in is second. Is it like the NIT of soccer? No. <laughs> it's like a regional. It's like, uh, it's not like the NIT. It's like Got it. the okay. SEC championships Got it. instead okay. of the national championships. Yes. Um, so the arguments that I have seen from libertarian Ladyland, who all define themselves as both personally quite feminist, but also like, let's look at the numbers, are of the mind that, look, the problem is not that there is 
that the women are being unpaid unfairly. It is that the women's tournament does not bring in as much money as the men's tournament, which may be reflective of, of sort of a, a sexist bias on the part of society as a whole, but that is a proportion of the income that comes to the World Cup. And I'm merely stating this as I'm trying to paraphrase like a Megan yeah. McArdle column because I am on record saying you need to be paying the women right. more than the men because they're better and they won in the world. Right. Uh, but make sort of making the case that like, look, how you define this is an interesting case study in why the equal pay debate when it comes down to like brass tacks is so complicated because how do you define what is or is not f fair or when like if they're both being paid the same, you could argue that that's unfair to the women because the women are better, you know, so how are you making these judgment calls about who gets paid what? I mean, I and. So I'll just leave it at that, that I... But I thought there were... I thought there was like more viewership and more all kinds of stuff. Or was that just this time so around and not other times? I or? think it is true that there was more viewership. I'm unclear on whether it has to do with like the men's team wasn't in the World Cup last time. So like that's a whole other issue. <laughs> right. We didn't qualify. Um, anyway, it's, it is it is complicated, but... Ultimately, I feel like it's madness. Well, I am madness. I'm amazed that I'm getting all this like, you know, it, we should all be paying for these the women's team because they are just fantastic. And like, what a fantastic thing. I mean, the like boldness that they have is just great. Wonderful. Yeah, I, it's it's going to take advertisers need to pay more. More people need to watch and those sorts of things because you're all missing out. It's fantastic. And. The polls agree. This was even – I think this was done before the, the final game. Um, and over half strongly support paying the women's team the same as their male counterparts. Yes. Uh, and that cuts across uh, all sorts of lines. I am fascinated that actually the generation gap on this – you have a lot of young people saying, I don't know, no opinion. That like when you go from the boomers, like the boomers are the most, the the most like, yeah, let's pay them all. Let's do it. Um, where the, I mean, it's, it's all close. These are like very yeah. small distinctions. It's all majorities. Right? It's all big majorities. But you do have among um, the younger cohorts a, a, a not insignificant chunk saying like, I don't really know. No opinion. Very few like outright oppose it. Um, but I would have expected, given that we know younger people tend to be a little more progressive, that, that it might have cut the other direction. Right. And soccer watchers are particularly likely to say pay them the same amount. Um, and so what does this mean? What's next for Megan Rapinoe? Could she run for president? The polls say, sure. Why not? <laughs> She is at, and this is who PPP. Is, uh, it's PPP. That's okay. I'll still. Uh, that's fine. We're at the end of the show now. We're at it's, the end of the show, it's forty-two to forty-one. That's not. You know. That's not. That's. I know your your previously stated thoughts. So, um, Megan Rapinoe in a national ballot against Trump, forty-two to forty-one, with seventeen percent not sure. Um, the gender gap. Trump is up to. <laughs> Against Megan among women, but he's down four among men. That so. uh, strikes me as confusing. I will just say, I think it is strange that in a Megan Rapino versus Donald Trump ballot test, that Donald Trump is winning among women by two. That to me seems weird and 
why this is a poll in the bottom half of the show. End um, of the show. So <laughs> Megan does – so Trump does a better job of consolidating his partisan base than does Megan Rapino, right? So <laughs> – uh, he gets 75% of the vote among Republicans. She gets 65% of the vote among Democrats. And they are tied among independents. So that's... You know what they need to do? They need to take Ashlyn Harris's Instagram stories and just turn it into a big six-minute ad and put it out there and then see what the people have to say. Yeah. I mean, would you air the whole... I mean... Wait, which side would do that? Would, would Megan Rapino do that? Or I don't know. Trump I guess it depends on uh, it depends on which which crowd you're going for. Yeah, um, I have come away from the World Cup being a huge fan of um, a a player. Uh, her name is Rose Lavelle. Um, her Twitter feed is extraordinary. She plays for the women's soccer team here in D.C., the Washington Spirit, mm. which I should note, Washington Spirit is playing Orlando Pride. Orlando has a women's soccer team that has Alex Morgan, Ashlyn Harris, and oh, her wow. fiance. Wow. Uh, they're all on that team, and they're going to be playing against each other at Audi Field in, I think, either August or September. Really? So get your tickets, because that'll be fun. Um, let me just read you some brief selections from Rose Lavelle's sure. Twitter feed as we wrap up the show um, because she is a goddess uh, and her Twitter feed, I have never felt so closely connected to something. <laughs> um, I make the mistake of trusting airport coffee and airport outlets every time and it's honestly just heartbreak after heartbreak. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see. Let me continue. Oh, no, I don't want recent tweets. I want like all of her tweets, not just the recent ones. Some of the best ones you got to go. You got to go further back. Um Something really great and rare happened to me today. I saw a motorcyclist riding with a little sidecar attached that had two dogs with goggles on and ears flapping in the wind. Oh, I always love that. Uh, if I ask you if you're dressing up and you say no and then you show up in jeans, this is a betrayal of our friendship because you should know anything beyond sweatpants is formal clothing to me. <laughs> this is the one that hit me right in the heart. Um, I'm always so good at remembering you can't eat meat on Friday during Lent immediately after the fact that I just ate meat on Friday during Lent. <laughs> like, I feel like Rose Lavelle is inside my head. <laughs> That's oh, fine. here's another one. Imagine being a baby and napping three times a day. I had no clue how good I had it back then. <laughs> like, she is just every, from top to bottom, every member of this team is just bringing light into my life. I know. And making the internet a, a good place again. DGAF. It's it's incredible. Yes. Um, so what is on the trend line this week? This week, it's going to be pretty fun. We're doing a campaign finance deep dive. So I'll talk to Garrett Lansing, who's running Win Red, which is the Republican new kind of counter to act blue. And then I'll be talking to um, uh, Maggie Severns, who's a campaign finance reporter from Politico mm -hmm. about sort of the overall what are, you know, what are changes in how people are fundraising and small dollar donors and right. what have you. And then I've sort of taped a bunch of oh, interviews. So you, here's a question. I don't know. Here's, I, you haven't interviewed them yet, right? Uh, nope. I, I, we've already taped. So, this week's uh, okay. So may, I don't know if you bring this up, but this is an interesting thing, which is how many candidates, not just presidential candidates, but House candidates, so you saw Amy McGrath announce it this week, but are announcing their first 24-hour number. They're just announcing it, right? So they, you know, that's as a strategy to show an initial, you know, surge of support. But you see candidates doing it at all different kinds of, well, I don't know if that's something you brought up, but it's, I, I feel like 
how common that is now as a thing to do is something that's a little bit more. Yeah, recent. instead of just waiting until the end of the quarter, if you have news right. that shows you're serious, drop it now. Right, right. The first 24 hours being like a thing. Yeah. Um. So I, while I did not ask her about that, I did ask her about the way that sort of Democrats have – are, are good at kind of steering people to races that are not just the presidential race um, and how Republicans, you know, will they, by launching this win red, get better about doing what Democrats do, which is like, ah, so you've given to Beto O'Rourke. May I suggest to you, you know, these other candidates who you might also like uh, that, like building more of that infrastructure because it helps uh, it, at least my, my perception is that it, it helps Democrats sort of raise money in these races where someone who's not in Kentucky can nonetheless be like, oh, she's running against Mitch McConnell. Cool. Let me kick you 40 bucks. Mm-hmm. Um, and that having that infrastructure, you know, if the right develops it, what might that mean? So we, we talk about that this week and the next week I'm going to have Rich Tal come on. He's doing some more of those swing voter focus groups in oh. Michigan. He's going to break down what people are thinking about the Democratic field. Ashley Spillane is going to come on the show, talk about um, corporate social responsibility and what do companies do around civic engagement. Um, And then going to talk a little bit. We've got um, Alec Tyson from Pew coming in to talk about the study we discussed on the show last week about um, how do people feel about the political discourse. So pretty pretty interesting stuff. We got a lot of, I packed a lot of interviews in today. All right. Dribbling out that content over the next two weeks. That content is gold. It is gold. You're welcome. (laughs) Okay. Well, um, you know, I don't have any other – I think that I feel fully versed in everything that's coming up, so that is fantastic. Party ID, that's one of the things we learned this week. Party ID is maybe the only subgroup that matters or the biggest subgroup that matters. Um, And we may have had Jomentum at one point, but right now we have Rapinomentum. You can find us on Twitter. Sorry, that wasn't very good. <laughs> but it is a thing. P-no. It is a P-no. thing. No. Oh, that's why they were saying. I thought they were talking about wine in that video. I was like, <laughs> why are they shouting that? I didn't understand. Now I get it. That's perfect. That's that right. is the perfect Margie on soccer. Oh God! I know. No, that's amazing. <laughs> that's amazing. Fantastic. We're talking about the video where they're, you know, all kind of just shouting and partying and they're just shouting Pino, Pino, when she's up speaking and doing like a press conference. And I thought they were just like, stop your press conference. We need more Pino Grigio back here. They're drinking Bud Heavy. They're not <laughs> drinking Pino in that video. I mean, maybe they are, but I saw a lot of Buds being shotgun and just champagne being poured yeah, okay. down people's gullets. Fair so enough, it fair was, enough. You can find us on Twitter <laughs> at the Bolsters individually and at Margie Amaro and at Kay Soltis Anderson, or you can find us on Facebook and at www.thepolsters.com. Thanks. Bye.